Good evening, Campus Church. It's a joy to be here tonight and be a part of this service. Um, my wife and I have truly enjoyed the last few months becoming part of such a wondrous church. One of the unique aspects that I've truly loved being here has been the opportunity to meet someone new almost every single day. Uh, we've been truly constantly meeting new people and it's been, it's been glorious. And a common theme among everybody that we've met has been a welcoming spirit that has been joyous, that we've been ever grateful for. And so I thank you for that. I thank you to all of, all of my kids in here too that I love to death and I'm, I'm happy to have you as well. It's been uh, one of my favorite things is getting to, get, getting to know the families and the kids and such, and I, I've loved that so much. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 tonight. If you want to turn your Bibles there, now, Matthew chapter 5, and we'll open up in verse 38 shortly. In speaking of some of the things that I've loved about Campus Church thus far and, and continuing to love, I love also the Christmas spirit that's here. I love the decorations that are up. I love how many events that we have involving Christmas and the celebration that we bring uh, surrounding Christ's birth and surrounding all the wondrous things that happened around Christmas time. It's amazing just how the community in general comes together in unity over something like Christmas, something that ultimately is focused on Christ. And even though there are a number of different diversions, different distractions that come along with that, the unity truly is, uh, truly is incredible. Driving around, seeing the lights, people participating in something of the such, I love it so much. I could go on and on about the things that I enjoy, that I, that I thoroughly love about the Christmas season but we just, we just don't have the time. I'll list off a few, though. I love the nostalgia that comes with thinking through memories of things that I grew up doing or different things that, that bring me much love and joy as I think about things that I remember with family, things that I remember with friends, or different locations that we were at, hearing a certain song that'll come on, uh, come on the radio or a song that comes through a speaker and, and thinking about a moment that I remember from that song in particular. Christmas music, by the way, is, is one of my favorite things. I talk about that frequently with the kids, but um, one of my playlists has about 20 hours of Christmas music. I add some albums every year to that. I love Christmas music so much. I love the decorations, like I've mentioned, the, the lights, the trees, everything involving that. And then one of the other common themes I love about Christmas is generally the love that's provided among everybody. It's like the world comes along and decides that Let's, let's loosen some of those frustrations. Let's lay aside some aggravations and just enjoy loving on each other a little bit, even through some of the challenges that come with certain relationships. You'll even hear the messaging through certain Christmas songs or movies or anything else where it gets across this idea of let's just forget all of the frustrations that we have with each other. Let's lay aside conflict. Let's put aside all these problems that we have and just love each other for a little bit. Let's put things aside. I mean, we, we do cause frustration sometimes in relationships, do we not? There, there are times where we allow conflict to happen. I'm convinced that if we truly did receive coal for all the naughty things that we've done, none of us would ever need to buy material to start a fire. We'd have more than enough to handle. That's generally the way things go. But at Christmas time, people put things aside. But honestly, is that really the, the method that we desire to have as believers of Jesus Christ? I, I think not. I think that the loving spirit that we ought to have ought to remain throughout the entirety of the season, not only during the Christmas season. Laying aside frustrations should not only happen during the Christmas season, but the love that we receive from Jesus Christ and then begin to share with others ought to occur throughout the entirety of the year. We ought to have such a love that it's indisputable that no one could say that our actions are anything but that of the greatest love, that love that comes only from our Father God 
that's shown us by example through Jesus Christ. I believe that in Matthew chapter 5, we see some certain principles that are given to us that allow us to come alongside this indisputable love. A love where no one could argue that it's anything but exactly that kind of love. The believer of Jesus Christ ought to have a love that's indisputable. So how can we allow our lives to become that? There are a number of ways. And I'd like to, I'd like to begin reading in verse 38 and begin seeing what, what God has for us tonight in regards to this indisputable love. Verse 38 says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this opportunity of meeting tonight. I thank you for all the circumstances which brought things together, allowing each life in here, each family in here to have the time open to be in this area and at this particular time and to feel the desire to come here to meet with other believers and, and worship you and talk about you and listen to what your word has to say, sing about you through music and then fellowship with other believers later ultimately in the glorification of you. And I pray that all of those things would have the right motivation behind them, that we would constantly be thinking about you and all that we do and thought and conversation and deed and everything that comes across tonight. I pray that as we look into your word, as we look into these few verses that, that your son delivered in a, in a particular sermon, that you would expose certain truths to us that would be beneficial to our hearts and minds and that we'd be able to take those truths, allow them to settle within us in a way that, that certifies a love that we can share with everybody. A love to even those that are difficult to love. A love to those that are, that are frustrating sometimes to love. I pray that we would be filled with such a desire for this. And I pray that you would guide my words tonight in delivering these things. That you would keep me from being able to insert anything that would be distracting. Or anything that would cause, uh, cause any sort of division or any sort of problems in listening to what you have to say. Just remove any distractions in me from the equation and deliver what you would like from your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we look at different ways that our love can be indisputable, as it can share itself to even those that are difficult to provide that love to, I believe that in the first few verses that we're gonna look at again here shortly, we can see that our love can be indisputable by leaving room for offense, giving place under wrath, leaving room for offense, allowing for frustrations to happen, allowing for aggravations to happen. Verse 38, Jesus says, ye have heard that it hath been said. 
This is the format which, by which he had been preaching for a while at this point in his Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. And then Jesus brings a new perspective that you have heard that it hath been, or you have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. Again, bringing a new thought to that. You have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thy notes. He continues on and gets to this point, inserts another one. You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. This speaks of a certain cultural justice that many different cultures, many nations have taken upon themselves. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If you begin looking at some of the um, Old Testament passages, Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, Deuteronomy 19, there are a number that refer to this exact thing. The idea of, well, if you're responsible for the destruction of someone's eye, the loosing of someone's tooth, then hey, that's going to be the responsibility for you later. That will be the punishment that comes to you later, that exact thing. The destruction of your eye, the loss of your own tooth, punishment for punishment, consequence for consequence. It's something that is not unfamiliar to us. Something that maybe we even, even if our nation doesn't exactly follow along with this line exactly, maybe we've experienced some of these things in our own home growing up. I won't ask the kids to raise their hands in here, but I will ask all the adults, how many of you ever had to eat soap because you said something you weren't supposed to? Okay, there are a number of you. I didn't want to embarrass anybody in here, but that certainly happened to me. I remember things where I would say something I was not supposed to, a word I wasn't supposed to, had some sort of disrespect through my speaking to my parents. Uh, I was nasty or mean to my siblings, and a few times... My mom tried out that discipline of giving me some soap to eat, and that, that wasn't very delicious. It, it was the opposite of such, and it, it, it remained in my memory uh, to, to think about what I needed to say before I actually said it so that I wouldn't face that consequence, kind of having those matching consequences with what was coming across, and that's familiar to culture. There's a desire within us sometimes that if some wrong has been done, we want to see the exact justice placed upon that wrong, someone facing a specific type of consequence for what they've done against us. But we must realize that justice truly is the Lord's. Uh, We must not become so consumed with this idea. Should justice be done? Absolutely. For all the consequences that come, for all the wrongdoing that is to happen, justice, judgment surely should happen. But we must remember the commandment that God gives us. We must remember the reminders that scripture provides. Romans 12, 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Vengeance is the Lord's. And even though there's a quick temptation for us sometimes to take things into our own hands, we must remember that ultimately God is the one that will dole out that justice. He has judgment in his arms. He knows exactly what he's doing and he's even placed authorities in positions to ensure that that happens at certain times. We must not become consumed with allowing the wrath to come through ourselves and place those consequences upon others. And unfortunately, that was a problem that occurred many times. It still occurs today. So Jesus had a new perspective for this cultural justice. In, in knowing that justice was the Lord's, Jesus had a particular challenge in regards to this. Verse 39, he says, But I say unto you that you resist not evil. Resist not evil. What what exactly is that saying? We're to reject not the offensive. Now in resisting not evil, it doesn't mean that we ultimately will reject God's word by allowing any wicked thought to come into our minds, allowing any wicked action to come through our bodies, but rather allowing offenses to happen. 
resisting not evil and allowing people that have wicked intent towards us, people that have some kind of false desire towards us, allowing some of those things to happen and not pushing back against them with the desire for ultimate justice. Resisting not evil is to reject not the offensive and allow some of those things to happen, leaving room for the wrongdoing of others, refusing to turn them away for an opportunity of love, ultimately. This goes against the fleshly desire, and it certainly goes against the, the cultural standard of today for, for, to, to love somebody that desires some kind of wicked intent towards you is, is a difficult task to bring upon yourself. There's a certainty of offenses that comes, though. And Jesus begins to give some specific examples of what this would look like. What is resisting not evil look like? He says, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. But whosoever shall smite thee. There's a certainty there. Later on, he gives some phrases that has the word if as well. But here there's a certainty. These kinds of things will happen. Someone will smite you. There's going to be some kind of offense that comes towards you. An insult, maybe even a physical, ta- physical attack like this. Smiting on thy right cheek. And what is Jesus' response? Turn to him the other also. That is extremely difficult for us to do at times. Leaving room for something like that. I believe there's a reason that he uses the, the example of smiting on the cheek, slapping in the face, literally. We even use that expression at times when something is extremely personal. Well, that was a slap in the face. Well, he did that to you? That's, that's a slap in the face. Even if someone has not physically done that, we use that as, well, that is an extreme personal attack upon you, a slap in the face. It's an embarrassing assault to have upon us. It's, it's, even if it's not the most egregious thing in the world, even if the consequences don't last that long, it feels extremely personal. And oftentimes the immediate response we want to have is to push right back against and give them some kind of consequence that would equate to the wrong that was done to us. But Jesus gives the truth of inviting that offensive to happen, exactly when we want to bring up those barriers and prevent something like that from ever happening again, shunning that person out of our lives so that they can never hurt us again, so that they can never damage us again, Jesus rather ensures that we need to think upon, as believers of Jesus Christ, the opportunity to love even those that have wicked intent towards us, those that have wronged us in some way, allowing for some of those things to happen. Do not misunderstand in thinking that there's, that we ought to allow for, for abuse, that we ought to be subject unto abuse. Certainly justice is still important and certainly we must avoid allowing ourselves to be placed under danger. But there is a certain truth of, allowing, of us allowing for some offense to happen, giving place for some frustration, leaving room for the offensive and giving an opportunity of love ultimately. Resisting the offensive and denying them love is to take vengeance truly into our own hands. Another example Jesus gives in regards to this and leaving room for the offensive is in verse 40. He says, and if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. The word if is used. However, I would imagine that most of us in here have experienced at some point the reality of loss by the actions of another. Something that someone else has done to you or around you has caused you to lose something, whether that was uh, something as, as, as small as time, uh, losing your time based on the actions of another, the, the foolish or wicked actions of another, losing even money, resources, losing a relationship, losing a friendship that you had because of the actions of another, something they've said, something they've done that's caused you harm and pain and it caused you to lose something. 
We face these kinds of things. Jesus noted a specific situation where it comes to the law. Someone has attacked you through the law. They've come after you with every possible way that they can to defend themselves as well. And they end up taking something from you. There's there's a reality of loss for you. You've lost something. What should the response of that be? That of the greatest grace. And this is coming from Jesus who lost so much while he lived on this earth and yet responded with such grace. But the response of grace in if someone has taken something from you, what does Jesus say? Let him have thy cloak also. Give them additional things, even, even that which they, they may not have desired to take. If someone truly does desire to take something, if someone, if someone personally uh, pursues you to take something from you and it causes loss among you, there's a, there's a need that they have that's far greater than that which they're, they're trying to take from you. And that need is Jesus Christ. They, they are in a great need for something that you can certainly provide and you can show a glimpse of through the wonderfully gracious action of leaving room for that offense. Leaving room and even offering opportunities of love through wonderful actions of giving, through wonderful actions of grace. Your love can be indisputable by leaving room for that offensive, by giving place unto wrath, by allowing some space for frustrations, allowing some of those things to come through. What are some other ways that our love can be indisputable, that our actions can be indisputable in showing that love is truly what we have in the, in the things that we do and in the way that we carry ourselves? Well, I believe that going on, uh, we see that our love can be indisputable by caring for the burdensome. Looking at verse 41, it says, and whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. There are many opportunities for us to care for individuals that may desire something from us, whether that's time, possessions, anything from us. And oftentimes those that desire specific, something specific from us, there, there are times where we may think within our, within, our, um, within our thoughts that, you know, I honestly don't know if I'm willing to give this up, uh, this, this particular time up or these particular possessions up. And, and sometimes those that ask certain things of us, they can become burdensome. Um, oftentimes those that, uh, like the passage says, those that compel us to do certain things, um, it becomes challenging to provide some of those things and, and we, we even put up some sort of barrier in preventing, or preventing others from taking our time or preventing them from allowing some of our resources to thin out in some ways. These opportunities arise freely though and I believe that there is a great opportunity for us to care for the burdensome by actually caring for them through the time that we're given, through the resources that we're given. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. There are opportunities for us to care for others through our time, giving time of others. Someone may ask you to spend some time with them as something. Uh, give your time to them for a particular activity, even just to talk with them. And so aren't, aren't there moments at times where it feels like there's no worse time than right now? To, to talk about this particular thing. You know you're about to enter into a deep, long conversation and it feels like just the time where you were ready to, to take a break or just the time that you were ready to lay back and, and do something else that would not take much strength or energy from your mind or from your body. But those are amazing opportunities that may come up for us at times. And if, if, if God is leading us to, to give of our time to somebody and care for them, care for the burdensome through that, it's a wonderful thing for us to take advantage of. Doing so can also eliminate the insecurity of the recipient too. Oftentimes those that will compel you to do a certain thing, that desire something of you, 
Um, there's some level of, of insecurity at times of, uh, well, I don't want to take too much of your time, but, um, well, I don't, I don't want to bother you, or, or I'm, I'm, probably, I'm probably around you too much, or uh, you probably get, get annoyed by me. Those, those kinds of phrases may come out, and you can eliminate some of that insecurity just by going with him twain, going above and beyond what's expected, going above and beyond what they've compelled, what they've asked of you. Caring for others with your time is a wonderful way to make love indisputable. There's no other motivation for something like this because you're not receiving really any, any personal benefit outside of just desiring to care and love for somebody. It's this kind of action that was a great part of giving me a desire to be in children's ministry. When I think back of memories in my childhood where there was an adult or a teenager or even just an older child that would take time with me when I've seen the home videos, I was an, an annoying child. Uh, they decided to take, take, take time with me, talk with me, spend hours with me when they didn't have to. Those are memories that have, have stuck with me. And in such a way, they've, they've, they've challenged me, they've, they've directed my thoughts and my heart to a point where I desire to do the exact same thing. One particular moment that I remember, when I was in fourth grade, there was a student from Pensacola Christian College that visited my church in Michigan, and they stayed at my home, and they were there for a few days. I think they were there for a VBS or something, so the events of the evening were, were far away. They had almost an entire day to spend with me, and some of you may, may feel like that's, that's a cringeworthy moment to have to spend an entire day at the house of a fourth grader. I don't know, but uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't have any issues with it. At least he didn't show those things. What we ended up doing for hours on end, he sat on the couch with me and watched me play a video game for hours and talked with me. He did not have to do that. I even remember saying things about how he could release himself if he wanted. He could, he could leave. He didn't have to stick around if he wanted to, but he desired to do so. It stuck with me. He, he, still has, uh, he still has a relationship with me. He still desires that. And that, that's an amazing opportunity. Those memories stick with people. Caring for the burdensome is a wonderful opportunity to prove that your love is completely genuine, an indisputable type of love. I do believe that we can care for others as well with our possessions. And the next verse provides us that provides us that truth. Verse 42 says, Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. If there is an opportunity for you to provide of the resources that God has given you, of the money that God has given you, of something else that God has given you, a particular ability that God has given you, a particular, any, any type of possession really, if someone is, is, has arisen a need before your eyes and you're able to provide for something, Take advantage of that opportunity and care for the burdensome in that way. Show an indisputable love by caring through the possessions that you have. Remember that the moment that God gave you whatever you have, whatever possessions that you have, he knew at that point how many people would need those things in the future, what needs would arise later on, and he knew that when giving you those things that you'd be able to provide for them. Take advantage of those opportunities when you're able and when you, when you know that the Lord is directing you to do so. Because in so doing, the care can be amazing in regards to that. You can prove a love through your care for the burdensome. Indisputable love is, is proved in these ways. It's proved in the, the, allowing of wrong, or the allowing of the offensive, the leaving room for that. It's proved in caring for the burdensome. I believe as well your love can be indisputable by serving the unlovable, by loving the unlovable. As we, we begin moving on through the passage, verse 40, 43 says, 
ye have heard that it hath been said. We get another statement of familiarity, another principle that, another truth that the listeners were already familiar with, and then Jesus would provide a brand new perspective for that. Verse 43 again, it says, ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Loving thy neighbor is something that, again, is a truth that almost everybody would agree with. Yes, you're supposed to love those that are around you, uh, your family, those that are immediately there, the friends, the neighbors that are around you, uh, those that are of the same kind of person that you are. You're supposed to love them. Love your neighbor. And though this isn't always easy, oftentimes it does come with benefits. There are oftentimes blessings that come with loving your neighbors. Um, when, when speaking of a, of a physical neighborhood to love, uh, there are opportunities when the more you love the house next to you, uh, whether they're a believer or not, the more blessings oftentimes come. The more you're willing to lend them your ladder or food ingredients or anything, the more likely they are willing to lend those things back. Loving your neighbor oftentimes does come with benefits. There are blessings that can come with loving those that God has placed around you. Wonderful thing to do, something that all of us ought to do, and something that oftentimes we can see the fruit from quite quickly. And then the passage also says, hate thine enemy. Another thing that's familiar with many, and something that is not necessarily challenging. It is not challenging to hate those that have wicked intent towards us. It's not challenging to, to despise those that have done wrong towards us, that have hurt us, that have pained us, that have caused us any amount of frustration or trouble. But Jesus had a, a different perspective for these listeners. They were familiar with these types of things, but he had a different perspective specifically on how they were to view their enemies, on how they were to view those that had every intent on opposing what they believed. Verse 44 gives us exactly that. Verse 44 says, but I say unto you, Jesus says unto them, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. What a challenging, what a challenging command for us to follow, to love those that are truly unlovable. Love ought to be something that, that comes with action. And it's, you're gonna find that it's difficult to love your enemies in thought first, to try to convince yourself that somebody that has harmed you in many ways, somebody that has offended you in many ways, somebody that has hurt you or someone that's close to you in many ways, to, to love them in thought first is going to be difficult. But I would suggest that the more that we do loving actions towards those that are harmful, the more that we bring forth something that is, that is loving through the things that we do, through the deeds that we have, the easier it will be to allow those, the, the thoughts to come around. Loving others, loving enemies, loving people that have done terrible things is something that, that Christ calls us to do. Those personal enemies that we have, loving them, loving those that have, that have harmed us in some way, ought to come through action. And certainly serving them in that way, serving the unlovable in that way, proves an indisputable love. Again, this is something that sometimes people do do, uh, do at Christmas time. But it's something that we often struggle with maybe throughout the rest of the year when, when everybody else seems to get back to their normal ways and we tend to struggle with loving the enemies in the way that we ought to. But that love that exists in action, we ought to do. It's a striking command to consider, but one that certainly would identify us and separate us as Christians in the culture today. Loving those that are seemingly unlovable. 
There are additional ways to do this, and Christ gives us some additional aspects of this idea of loving our enemies. He says, bless them that curse you. Bless them that curse you. Uh, Give encouraging words to those that have given you everything except that. Those that have given you harsh words, those that have opposed you with their words, those that may have even lied about you, uh, those that have cursed you truly, uh, those that have um, caused others to think a certain thing about you with their words, all those types of things. Bless those folks. Bless them. That is, is, again, a, a challenging truth to follow. Another thing I remember my mom used to say was that I was not allowed to say anything that was not kind, necessary, and true. Many of you have likely heard that. Kind, necessary, and true. Unless a phrase was all three of those things, she did not want me saying that, especially to my brother and sister. Didn't want me saying anything that was all three of those things. Now, I, I, would, I could certainly argue that things were necessary. That, that was the first explanation that I would have. Well, it was a necessary thing to say but oftentimes it would come down to kindness. Was it really kind? It was necessary and true, but was it really kind? What kind of kindness can we show to those that show us everything but? And and what what kind of love would that show when we do give those blessings, those encouraging words to those that give none of that back? It's an indisputable love. Jesus goes on and says, do good to them that hate you. Serving the unlovable is doing good to them that hate you. Romans 12.20 gives us some practical ways in which we can do that. It says, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. When opportunities come to bless those that are before us, even if they uh, they have chosen to hate us, fulfill those needs. It's fairly easy to discover if somebody does hate you. They often show themselves through a number of different expressions, whether those are facial expressions, emotional expressions, physical expressions, verbal expressions. Oftentimes that hatred shows itself in some way. And then the challenge comes with how we're going to respond to that. Do we avoid them at all costs? Do we try to think of the perfect comeback to say when we know that some kind of Um, hateful action or word is going to come out the next time we're around them. No, rather we ought to do good unto them. What kind of needs can we fulfill that they have? Uh, What kind of things that that they're struggling with can we help them with? Amazing opportunities that God can provide for us if we're willing first to serve the unlovable, to show them that there's a love within us that comes from our God that comes from the example of Jesus Christ, that comes from the salvation that he's provided us, that there's a, that's a certain type of love that no one else, no, no unbeliever can, can truly experience, but a love that we can provide, that we can give them a glimpse of when we are willing to love the most unlovable. The end of verse 44 says, for the, excuse me, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Be willing to bring up thoughts of thoughts and prayers. Bring, be willing to talk to God about those that have plans to abuse you, that have plans to uh, persecute you, whether for your beliefs or you personally. Uh, be willing to pray for them. There are, there's seldom a greater medicine than praying for those that, that you, you struggle to love. Praying for them, it, it humbles us and it allows us to, to, come, to come, come to some kind of conclusion with God that, uh, of the true needs that exist with somebody. 
Praying for them is a wonderful opportunity. One of the greatest examples I believe we see in scripture for this specific truth is in Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 verse 60 is, it shows the ends of, end of Stephen's life. The last few words he had to say. It says, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Remember that Stephen is praying on the behalf of people that are actively murdering him through stoning. Stephen cries out to God for these people. Cries out to God for them. Jesus Christ did the same exact thing. Calling out to God for people that were doing horrific things unto him. What kind of prayers can we bring to those that, are, that, are, that we struggle to love? We may not be facing this exact thing, uh, prayerfully not so, but those that are causing us sort of, some sort of harm, that are using us for wicked intent, that uh, desire some kind of evil, um, evil actions upon us, what can we do? Uh, how, can, how can we specifically pray for them? Talk to God about those that you struggle to love. Serve the unlovable in these ways. Love them with your actions. Do good unto them. Fulfill the needs that they have. Bless them. Encourage them with, with your words that, that God has given you and pray for them. Even as they persecute, be willing to pray for them. Love is indisputable. That is love that serves the unlovable, that loves the unlovable. Love truly can be indisputable if we come alongside the example that God the Father has shown. Verse 45 shows us that wonderful example that the Father has. He says in verse 45, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. In showing such a love, a love to those that have done horrific things to us and showing love to those that may be burdensome and showing love to those that are unlovable, that bring all sorts of offenses to our table. Showing love to them is to be the children of our Father which is in heaven. It's a quality of children of the Father. As we are saved, as we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed upon us, as we get to experience that wonderful purity that he has, and as we're viewed by God the Father as such, let us live as his children. Let us, let us embrace that identity, the, the identity of children of the Father and not children of the world, uh, not children that follow all of the culture, cultural norms that this world has to provide, those that will quickly go to uh, only meeting meeting others with exactly what they're meeting us with. God the Father sets the example in all that he does. He provides son not just to the evil, or excuse me, not just to the good, but also to the evil. He provides rain not just to the just, but to the unjust as well. In providing these things, he shows that blessings are, are willing to come. He's willing to show love unto those that, are, that even make lives that are entirely surrounded upon blaspheming him willing to provide those things. That is a wonderful example for us to follow, one we ought to quickly come alongside with. And when we come alongside that indisputable type of love, there's, there's no doubt that that example of Jesus Christ will shine through. The love of Jesus Christ will shine through the others. Following the example of the world is allowing for only love to those who love us first. Verse 46 says, for if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? Loving those who love you, Hey, it's, it's a wonderful thing. You ought to do so. You certainly ought not answer love that comes to you with, with evil back. But loving them which love us, hey, what, what reward comes with that? That's something that almost everyone does. Do not even the publicans, uh, the tax collectors, those that really stood as, as the sinners, the, the, the easy example of sinners in this day. We're, 
do not they even do the same? Do not, do not even they love those who, are, uh, who love them back? The, the most lovable, they love them. But loving the unlovable, it's an entirely different challenge. Verse 47, and if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans show, so. Showing respect, showing a salutation, showing greeting, showing love to all of the people that we're most familiar with, the people that are like us, um, only showing love to the people uh, that we're familiar with in the room or people that are immediately in our neighborhood or immediately in our family. This is something that, that many do. This is something that much of the world already practices. A wonderful thing, a wonderful thing. But loving the unlovable, that's the example of our our Father. God the Father, the love that he shows, and as his children, coming alongside that teaching, learning what he has to say about love that is completely indisputable. Verse 48, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which which is in heaven, is perfect. We ought again to live as children of the Father. On our own, we, we are certainly incapable of, of being perfect, of being complete and, and following alongside perfectly everything that God desires of us. But we, we, should, we should live uh, in, in a way that, um, that promotes our identity as, as children of God the Father, as joint heirs with Jesus Christ, in enjoying all of the love, all of the blessings that he provides. We ought to live as such, live within that identity as a Christian, as a believer of Jesus Christ, and be perfect in that sense. Sharing love, following alongside the example of the Father, doing what he requires of us, showing an indisputable love, a love that truly could not be argued. How are your actions proven as the most loved? Leaving room for offense, ensuring that you are caring for for even those that prove to be burdensome, caring for the unlovable, loving them which show only hatred back towards you, Living as children of God our Father. That's a love that's indisputable. It's a love that follows the steps of Jesus Christ. And it's a love that may show others exactly that same love that they need to come alongside with as well. Church, let's let's follow the love of God the Father and allow that love to be indisputable and allow that to continue not just in the Christmas season, but throughout the rest of the year, throughout all of our lives.